Let us experience the glory of your goodness. Let us become more aware of your presence. Come on, sing it out. Let us experience the glory of your
don't want to leave the same way we came. Show us something new, show us something new, yeah. Show us something new, show us something new, yes. Oh, show us something new, show us something new. Come on, we've been praying for more of the Holy Spirit. He said, show me more of you, show me more. Show me more of you, show me more. Show me more, show me more, show me more. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come on, help me sing. Your flood this place and fill the earth. Your glory, God, is what our hearts to be yours. To be
what restoration is all about. Hallelujah. God restored us. He redeemed our lives from destruction. The devil meant to destroy mankind. He's meant to destroy your life with every attack that he's brought against you. But thank God he sent a redeemer. Hallelujah. And our redeemer is Jesus and he has redeemed our life from destruction. He has set our feet on high. And so when the devil's tried to take you out with attacks... Don't you stay down. Get up. Declare your victory because that he's all about. He's all about redemption and redeeming our lives. And when the, the enemy thought, oh, he was going to take them out, actually because of Jesus and his restoring power, he lifts us up. The Bible says that uh, um, the humble, when we humble ourselves before God, we humble ourselves. Are, are we're completely depending on him 
in him. We're in him and we depend in him. He says that he will exalt us. He will lift us up from out of wherever we are because we rest in him and lean on him. He will lift us up. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's great to see you this morning. We're going to dismiss the children to their class at this time, as well as the junior hires to their class. And then before you're seated, why don't you turn around and introduce yourself to several people sitting around you. And then after you've done that, you may be seated. We want to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us this morning via Facebook and YouTube. We're so glad. If you are worshiping with us today for the very first time, we're so glad that you're here. And we would just ask you to fill out a connect card in the seat in front of you. And let us know, uh, just let us know that you're here and if there's any way that we can pray with you or serve you. And just drop that in the offering bucket as well. Uh, those cards are there to communicate with us in any way that you need. We're so glad that... Um, some California escapees are visiting with us today. Come back to California, God's country. <laughs> no, uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, Greg and Mercy. Would you stand up? Greg and Mercy are here with their daughter, Harmony. Many of you know them and remember them. They've, how long have you guys been in Texas now? Three years. Three years, yeah. And um, I was telling Greg... We couldn't remember how long when you came to the church. It's been 30 years ago, 28, a lot. And um, I remember Greg, I was telling uh, uh, Desiree, I, I remember Greg when he came to the church. He was a single guy. Now he, he's a little shy. I hope I don't embarrass you. Okay, good. And um, I, the girls would all talk to me. They thought he was like a real catch. But... Mercy caught him instead. <laughs> and anyway, they, uh, their daughter Harmony is here. I don't know where she is. Where are you, Harmony? Are you in here? Oh, she, is that her walking in? Oh, she's waving as she's walking. I didn't even recognize her. Anyway, welcome back home. We're so glad that you guys are here. I understand that Harmony still does. She does a lot of ministry to Hispanics. And she and a friend are doing, if I remember what Greg told me correctly, you're doing a Hispanic um, broadcast of some sort, and they're still using some of them, interpreting some of Pastor Mike's sermons. She did that many years ago. She headed up our prison ministry and um, served in a lot of ways as far as reaching Hispanics and a lot of Hispanic women, and she did a lot with uh, translating Pastor Mike's sermons, and so she, I guess she's still doing that, at least some, huh? That's wonderful. We're glad you guys are here today. Welcome. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Uh... Well, I will say to us today, happy 37th anniversary, Foothill Family Church. 37 years. It was a January 5th, 1986, that Pastor Mike and I uh, started our first service in Castile Elementary School in Mission Viejo. And um, 
Of course, you can see all the balloons and the fanfare that we have, you know. We're such a big fanfare sort of church. Anyway, we're not, of course. We just say happy birthday, happy anniversary, and, and keep going. But I, I did have a few things I wanted to share about that today. Um, you know, throughout the Word of God, these are the things I was thanking the Lord for and reminding the Lord about. You know, in the Word of God, at the beginning of the epistles, Paul will often say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, not by the will of man. And he, he reiterates that over and over to the churches that he was, he was sent to, that I am here not because it was my idea, but because it was God's idea. And so for those of you, we, have, we still have a few families that have stuck with us for 37 years and are very close to there, and we're so grateful for them. And so they'll remember this story that I'm going to tell those of you who maybe haven't been here um, as often as they have. But, you know, Pastor Mike and I did not look around the country and say, gee, where would we like to live? Pastor Mike's from Alabama, and I'm from Michigan. Gee, where would we like to live? Where do we think we would like to start a church? He didn't want to be a pastor. I mean, he didn't think he was a pastor. He didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, you know, he was willing to do whatever God told him to do, but he didn't think pastoring was it. And um, then one day, the Holy Spirit dropped it in his heart first, and then it came in my heart, and we were, knew that we were supposed to move out here. Now, if you're east of the Mississippi... If you're, how many of you are from east of the Mississippi? Some, okay. When you live east of the Mississippi, as far as you're concerned, I don't feel like this anymore, but as far as you're concerned, California can slide right into the ocean. We didn't care about it. We just thought they're the land out there of fruits and nuts, and it's not true. It is not. There is a segment in certain cities, yes, but not all cities. But that was at least my opinion. I won't speak for my husband. Just slide him off into the ocean. I'm fine with that. Well, uh, God put it in our heart, and we knew that God was sending us to California because when that came Every opinion, every thought, I even immediately started like an avocado. Yeah, it, it was just like I couldn't stand it. And as we're driving to California, all of a sudden, I loved avocado. And so, but my point on that is this church did not start out of the will of man. It did not start because we just dreamed it up and say, gee, that's what we think we'll do. It was born of the will of God. And the Bible says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And we believe because God has called this church and founded this church on his will, on his plan, on his direction, and we have endeavored these 37 years to follow his leading and his direction, that through the seasons that we have experienced, and if you've been married any length of time or lived any length of time, you will know that life goes through seasons. There are seasons of life that are, that are springtime and fresh. There are seasons of life that are summer and fall and winter. There are ups and downs to life. Just look, there are challenges, challenging years in churches and uh, uh, harvest years in churches. You're going to experience it all. But when you are doing the will of God and when you are following the plan of God, 
He will sustain you. He will keep you. He will be with you. The main question to ask ourselves, even in our lives, am I doing, am I following what it is that God has given me to do? God doesn't automatically defend us just because we're his kids. No, if we if we are aligning ourselves with his word and walking in the truth of the word and walking in obedience to him, he will defend us and he will help us and he will help you in difficult times in your life. Hallelujah. So God has been faithful to our church family and we're so grateful for it. Amen. Praise the Lord. It was not born of the will of men nor of the will of men. Our church did not start because Pastor Mike was mad at somebody. Because Pastor Mike was grumbling about something and he wanted to take a group of people and go start his own church. He started it because God directed him to do it. Hallelujah. And so we're just so grateful that we're in this season together. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, that's, that's, my, uh, that's my message today. <laughs> Hallelujah. A praise report. Lindsay Lillian. I don't know. Is it Leland or Lillian? It's one of those two. She has been in Mission Hospital for maybe five weeks now, and we have prayed for her, and our ladies' prayer group has prayed for her, and we just want to let you know, thank the Lord that she is doing well. Um, the doctors are bringing her out of sedation very slowly, and I think they expect her to be, a, it's, an, it's an induced coma, and I think they expect her to be out next week. They are treating what they believe to have been the cause of why she was there. Hallelujah. So she's doing well. She's responding well. And we learned that even some of the symptoms that sent her to the hospital were actually a good thing because it alerted the doctors to what was actually going on in her body. Had she not had those severe symptoms, then she could have just keep, kept going along and what was actually happening in her body could have, pro could have proved to be devastating. And so we're just so grateful to the Lord for his sustaining power and his healing power, and the wisdom for the doctors. And so uh, when they come back to church and they're ready, I know that they'll want to give their testimony about all that God has done. Amen. Amen. Um, let me see. Uh, Pastor Chip is going to come. He has an announcement. At this time, we appreciate him. He look, I like you in your glasses. I think you look very distinguished. You look younger in them. He's always telling me how old he is. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. Happy 37th Foothill Family Church. Um, I'm not supposed to say this, or I wasn't asked to say this, but I, I think I started coming to the church in 88 or 89, and my first memory of Pastor Mike and Beth is when I, uh, my parents, we didn't have cell phones back in the late 80s, for all of you that remember that. My parents left me at our Halloween Holy Hullabaloo when I was about eight years old, and I was dressed as David, which meant I was in a loincloth in like a tiger stripe satchel thing, I don't know, in a slingshot. No, it was at Watney. It was at Watney. We were at Watney, and we had our holy hullabaloo is what we called it back then. And my parents both thought I went home with each other. So at the end of the night, it was me, Pastor Mike, and Pastor Beth uh, just hanging out. So they took me to the office. We got a hold of my parents. But uh, from, from those early days till now, Pastor Mike and Beth, you guys have been so faithful to lead this church, to love this church. And we are all so grateful for what you poured into us. Family, would you give them a round of applause, please?
Okay, so the announcement. Uh, men's ministry, we are returning. We are back, not tomorrow night. Men, not tomorrow night. Monday the 16th, we are back. We're going to kick off the year with uh, barbecue and the word. Uh, if you guys know George Fortune, he's usually out in the parking lot uh, on security detail, but he is our resident grill master here at FFC. So we're going to be meeting at the house of George and Karen Fortune. Here's what you need to do, guys, or the ladies sitting next to the guys. My email address is right there on that slide. So if you would, please email me. Let me know that you are interested in coming. I know there's a lot of guys in the building right now that are not on our men's ministry contact list. Uh, I usually email you once or twice a month, check in with you, see how things are going, let you know what we have going on for the men's ministry. So please, here's the details. I think it's next Monday, not tomorrow, January the 16th from 5.30 to 7.30. Going to have amazing barbecue, but I need you to email me one so I know you're coming so we can have enough meat for you guys because you guys show up and it's like you haven't eaten since the Friday before. Uh, so make sure you email me so we know that you're coming. Also, that'll add you to our contact list so I can stay in touch with you. We can be praying for you as a men's group. Our men's ministry had a phenomenal last year, uh, and I just want to encourage you guys, if you haven't reached out to be part of that, would you please do so? Guys, we love you. Happy birthday, FFC. Praise the Lord. And then Colin McKenzie's going to come. He has uh, a few words he'd like to say. Colin and his wife, Susan. Susan, can you stand up? They've been coming to FFC about, what, 18 months? Two years? Two years. And um, they're just such a blessing. Colin is overseeing our usher ministry since uh, Dan and Lindy also moved to Texas. And um, we appreciate him so much. And he's got a few words he's going to share with us today. Thank you, Pastor Beth. Um, I don't know about you, but I, following those two messages, I mean, really, thanks a lot. <laughs> Such wonderful messages. Um, I'm going to switch gears on you here just a little bit. Um, Susan and I are relative newcomers, as Pastor Beth mentioned. Um, we appreciate the friendship and fellowship that you all have bestowed upon us. And fortunately enough, a little later today, we get a chance to reflect some of that back by having folks over to our home among our more seasoned and experienced um, of our friends here at the Foothill family. Part of the reason that we came here um, had to do with how this church and its leaders um, honored and honors Hebrews 10.25. And this may um, cause you to think a little bit about the last couple of years. But not giving up meeting together, and this comes, I'm sorry, from Hebrews 10.25. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Susan and I appreciate this church and its leaders, and I have some encouragement that I'd like to provide for you today. Um, for all of us to be enriched here um, requires the contributions of many people. Um, certainly, your tithes and your offerings are very valuable. Um, so, too, is the devotion of personal time and talent, so this house of God can function well. Um, so I'm here today to ask you to consider, if you would, um, giving of your time and talent to this house. Um, we have some uh, different needs. Uh, we need to fill out our usher team just a little bit more. Um, Pastor Beth reminded me that the greeting and welcome team could use another person or two, and our children's ministry could use some assistance and perhaps um, some other areas that might um, might need your help as well. So if you'd inquire about those, I think it would be very valuable. Um, and if you'll indulge me for just another couple of uh, minutes, 
Um, I'd like to share with you some wisdom that was shared with me many years ago. And like many pieces of wisdom, there's something counterintuitive about it. Uh, but a guy by the name of Jim Rohn, for any of you who know him, um, mentioned the truth that giving begins the receiving process. And like most wisdom, it finds its origin in Scripture. And so if you'll bear with me, uh, there are three I'd like to share with you from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, um, the 38th verse. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then Luke uh, quotes our Lord, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, um, and this is in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And then finally, um, I don't know how many of you are watching The Chosen, but this season, one of the episodes, um, it shows Jesus getting ready to send his disciples out two by two. And there's something he says, and, and I hear this with a great deal of love, and that's freely you have received, freely give. If these scriptures have meaning for you and speak to you, please take a moment uh, to fill out one of those contact cards Pastor Beth was mentioning. You're welcome to place it in the collection, um, or you can certainly give it to one of the ushers uh, after the service. Um, each of us, each one of us matters in God's family. We invite you to help us with some of the family chores and thereby the family blessings. I'd like to thank you personally in advance uh, for your servant's heart. Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Colin. Praise the Lord. And then uh, today after church, the 55-plus group is going to be meeting at Colin and Susan's house. And so um, I believe that you can either see them or at the information center, the address to your house is also there. So uh, if you're not sure where that is, they would love to have you join them. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, the ushers are going to come forward at this time, and we're going to give you an opportunity to give. You can give electronically. The information is on the screens, or there are offering envelopes around the seats, and you can get one of those and fill that out as well. Praise the Lord. Please be sure to fill out your offering envelopes and whatever you do legibly and clearly for the gals in the office. They appreciate that. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you with one heart. You instructed us in your word that we would not have divisions among us, but that we would be perfectly joined together in one heart, in one purpose, in one motive of working together with you to advance the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That we would become disciples of Jesus but then we would also, every day, Lord, touch a person's life with the gospel. Encourage someone every day. Touch someone every day with the gospel. This is our plan, Father. And we, with one heart, express that to you. Thank you that you strengthen us, that you lead us, that you guide us that we become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus and touch lives every day wherever we go. We give to you now of our tithes and our offerings as worship unto you. 
And we thank you, Father, that you take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When you've been given the opportunity to give, would you join us for this next song?
your name we worship you we thank you for your goodness we thank you father for utterance in the holy ghost today in the precious and mighty name of jesus amen amen you may be seated let's make our confession this is our year of jubilee we expect manifestations of the holy ghost and power we believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to um, begin a series on steps to answered prayer. Uh, and this morning I want to make the introduction for that series. As you heard just a little bit ago, we are 37 years old today as a church. And there have been so many things that God has walked us through, delivered us from, saved our bacon, and we found him faithful in every circumstance and every situation. We found our Heavenly Father to be faithful to his word. The first sermon I preached here was a series on faith, a sermon on faith. And I'm glad to say that the same truth that opened us up and got us through the early years is the truth that sets us free today. God has been so good, so good to us. I want to start this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writing to Timothy, said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life and all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice in verse 1, it's talking about different kinds of prayers. Supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks. A lot of people have the idea that all prayer is the same. And the idea that, uh, or the concept that there are different kinds of prayers to pray in different situations is a misnomer in their eyes or in their thinking. But the Bible tells us about different types of prayer. It shows us people in the Bible that prayed in different ways, especially Jesus. And as a result, he has enabled us to cover all the needs that we might ever have here on this earth by making contact with him and trusting him to bring about his will in our lives. I want you to notice that we want to take these uh, one by one Notice that uh, the one we want to start with is intercessions. Intercession is more about a position than it is an action. What I mean by that is intercession 
on Jesus' part was coming to the earth and joining God and man. Intercession is um, a simple concept and it can be described as uh, um, introducing someone or joining them in a relationship. What I mean by that is if you have a friend that I don't know, you're introducing me to your friend takes the position of an intercessor. It's not a spiritual term. There's nothing super spiritual about it. It just means joining together two parties who are separated from one another. Now notice here in verse 2, it tells us about the kings that we're supposed to be praying for. You know as well as I do that in many cases, leaders, world, world leaders and kings, presidents and so forth are not Christians. And therefore, the only way you can pray for a non-believer is through intercession. The Bible tells us that Jesus in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, I believe, it tells us that Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for the saints seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, folks, if intercession is just prayer, if that's all there is to intercession, then that means Jesus is having to pray for us. Well, the only reason Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father is if the work is finished. And if the work is finished, that means it's not necessary or incumbent upon additional prayers for us to find the will of God or walk in it. Jesus' position at the right hand of God the Father is the proof of the intercession that has been made. The fact that he emptied himself of all heavenly power and glory and came to the earth and operated as a man the fact that he operated as a man here on the earth is the only way that he could stand in the gap or pay the price for man's sins because man is the one that sinned, not God. And so if God just somehow or another made himself available with all the heavenly power and glory that Jesus had before, the, uh, before he came to the earth, if he had died as the son of God, then it wouldn't have paid the price for us. But the fact that he operated here on the earth as the son of, of man, and he identifies himself as the son of man the vast majority of the time, then the anointing of God that enabled him to do signs and wonders and miracles here on the earth would not have prevented him from being all man and therefore paying the price for all of mankind. So here it says that one of the ways that we need to pray for kings and those that are in authority is through intercession. Now I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 and let's look a little bit more at the work of the Holy Ghost in this intercession. Romans 8, 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us 
which gro with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here where it says in verse 26 that he helpeth our infirmities, this word helpeth means to take hold together with against. Now if we were trying to lift something heavy, maybe if we took the piano over here and I mentioned to the crowd that after the service we need to move it to a certain place from its uh, position where it's located, I should be able to tell when you take hold together with me against the weight of that piano. In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us. He takes hold together with us against the weight of whatever it is that God has put on our hearts to pray. The only way you can make intercession is with the help of the Holy Ghost. Because the unbeliever doesn't have the same rights and privileges as we do as believers, as Christians. And so the Holy Spirit helpeth or takes hold together with us against our infirmities. It defines what those, those infirmities are. It says we don't always know how to pray as we ought to pray. We might know to pray, but there's no way that we would know what's going on with someone else, an unbeliever, for example, without making intercession for them by the help of the Holy Ghost. Now, there's also another scripture I want you to look at with me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. It seems to be a similar list of different kinds of prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer or all kinds of prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice it doesn't list intercessions there. It mentions prayers. It mentions thanksgiving. It mentions supplication, just as the list in First Timothy chapter 2 does. But it leaves, out it leaves out intercessions. Now, there's a very simple answer or reason why it leaves it out in this list and that is because this list is talking about praying for saints or believers. So you don't make intercession for believers because they have been joined together with God by the saving work of Jesus. And so there is no separation. There can be no separation between a child of God and his heavenly father. And we may break fellowship and backslide into sin but that doesn't change our relationship with him it doesn't change the fact that we're still part of his family and he's still our heavenly father so if we look at some of the others we find out that there are different kinds of prayer one kind of prayer for example is praying in the spirit or praying in other tongues the bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not of himself, but of God. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh divine secrets. Mysteries is the way the King James says it, but it means divine secrets. So the Bible tells us that there's a way 
or a means whereby we can speak or pray divine secrets, not only for ourselves, but for others. He goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14. And he says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. So praying in the spirit or praying in other tongues is one means of prayer or one kind of prayer. Now I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We want to look at another kind of prayer. And this is a prayer that's a, a type of prayer that's called united prayer. Acts chapter 4 verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them is. Now notice verse 24, it says, when they heard the report of Peter and John, that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, they're all praying together. Now let me ask you a question. How do they know to say the same thing? Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before, before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. How did they pray this same thing? How did all of them together pray this same thing? Folks, this is either Peter and or John that leads in this prayer and then everybody else prays in other tongues after it's over perhaps or this is them praying in the spirit together and the Holy Ghost is giving us the interpretation of what they pray. They would not have a script or a list of what they were going to pray for everybody to pray together. And it clearly says they all lifted up their voice to God with one accord. So they're all praying. So this is either Peter and or John leading in prayer to begin with and everybody joining in afterwards in other tongues or they're praying in other tongues about this situation from the beginning. And this is the interpretation of what God heard them pray. We just read in Romans chapter 8 verse 27 that when you pray in other tongues, you're praying the perfect will of the Father. Now, I don't know which way it, it went. I don't know which way it, this took place. I'm inclined to believe that it was Peter leaving, leading them in prayer, and then they all joined in afterwards. 
but there's no way to know for sure. Now, there's another kind of prayer that was listed in both Ephesians 6, 18 and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. That's a prayer of thanksgiving. Folks, so many times people think about prayer only when they need something from God. But there should be times in our lives, in our Christian walk, where we're praying either to worship God just for who he is, not so we can get something from him, but because of who he is, and or praying and giving thanks for the things that God has done for us. I think that should be a bigger part of our prayer life than we accept it to be. Paul mentions four things in Timothy, his letter, the first letter to Timothy in the second chapter. Prayers, supplications, giving of thanks, and intercessions. He's talking about having a well-rounded and, and biblically-based prayer life. Thanksgiving, or the prayer of worship, should be a big part of that prayer life. Now, there are some other types of prayer and things that the Bible lists for us and identifies. For example, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, it says, Jesus said again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Here's the prayer of agreement identified by Jesus. Now, the prayer of agreement is basically two or three people praying the prayer of faith together, joining our spiritual forces together by praying the prayer of faith about the same thing or to receive something from God. And notice he says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. You know, it's hard to get people in agreement, more than a couple of people in agreement, about most things. The reason for that is because most people aren't at the same place in their spiritual walk. The prayer of agreement works better when you are agreeing with someone or praying the prayer of faith with someone that is in a similar spiritual place or spiritual maturity. And so Jesus mentioned two or three where two or three are gathered together in my name. It's a whole lot easier to get a small group in agreement than it is a big one. That's for certain. Now, in Matthew 26, I want you to see this one. This is a prayer of consecration or dedication to God. This is when Jesus has had the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Verse 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Was it possible for this cup to pass from him? It certainly was. Jesus could have prayed half of this verse and changed and altered everything for mankind throughout eternity. Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It, could be, it was possible. Jesus said on the cross to one of the thieves that was speaking to him, he said that he could call 12 legions of angels down to deliver him. Well, that certainly would have changed the situation. So when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's saying this is the way I want it to be. If there's some other way to pay the price for mankind, to redeem mankind from his sin, then I want that way. But then he's objected his will to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Now the church world has taken this time of prayer and it's the only time that we have record of it in the Bible. I'm not saying that Jesus wouldn't have prayed this prayer at other times. I'm sure he did. There were times throughout his life and his ministry that I'm sure he separated himself and committed himself, dedicated himself to God and the fulfillment of God's will for his life. But this is the only time that we really have an, an example of it. And that phrase, not my will but thine be done, has been captured by the church throughout the decades and generations for thousands of years, 2,000 years now, for the church to pray everything ending in if it be thy will. Now the problem with that is that we don't see Jesus praying that when he stands before Lazarus' tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. He doesn't pray, Father, if it's your will, let Lazarus come out of there. And there's never a time where Jesus questions the will of God or states to someone that they can't be healed because it's not the will of God. Jesus never in any other situation either challenged the will of God or failed to recognize the will of God in any and every work that he was involved in. In Matthew chapter 8, the leper comes to Jesus and says, Master, if you will, you can heal me. Jesus doesn't stop and question the will of God. He doesn't give the man any reason whatsoever to doubt God's will to heal him because he was moved with compassion and instantly touched him and healed him of his leprosy. Now, folks, this is something that needs to be dwelt on for some period of time 
Because it's the knowledge of God's will that is everything. It means everything when it comes to having your prayers answered. If you don't know the will of God in a situation, you can't have faith to receive it. If you didn't know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, there's no way for you to be saved. The will of God has to be revealed for faith to be exercised or obtained. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And where the will of God is not known, it is not, there is no basis for faith. Faith begins where the will of God is known. And that brings us to the prayer of faith. I want you to look with me to Matthew chapter to Mark chapter 11 verse 22 and Jesus answering said unto them have faith in God for verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith now folks notice verse 23 doesn't say one word about prayer it defines for us the operation of faith, which is to believe with the heart and confess with the mouth. But Jesus says faith will work by speaking to the mountain. Whatever the mountain is in your life, whatever the devil is doing to try to rob you or take from you the blessings of God, there's not a word, of, a word in that verse of Scripture that refers to prayer, however. But then he says... Here's how faith works in prayer. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Now, the prayer of faith that he's talking about here in verse 24 is the prayer that believes it receives when it prays. It's the prayer that believes it receives when it prays. I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. A lot of Christians use this verse of Scripture in verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us as justification for praying every prayer or ending every prayer in the faith-destroying phrase, if it be thy will. John, however, who writes this toward the very latter end of his life, somewhere around 65 years after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, John uses it as a basis for confidence that we would know that he hears us when we pray anything according to his will. Now we know that the word of God is the will of God. God and his word are one. God's will is revealed to us through his word. And therefore, the prayer of faith could be identified or referred to 
as the prayer that he hears. The prayer that God hears. We made mention of Lazarus, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. You may remember that when Jesus stood before Lazarus' tomb, he said, I thank you, Father, that you hear me. I thank you, Father, that you hear me. Jesus knew the will of God in that situation because he had heard three days earlier that Lazarus had died. Lazarus was a close friend of his along with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And you may remember that the disciples thought that he would, after hearing that Lazarus was sick, that he would go to where Lazarus is, but Jesus didn't. He told them that Lazarus was dead, which he would only know by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, the revelation of the Holy Ghost. And in saying that he was dead, then the disciples said, well, surely then we will go to where he is for the funeral or for whatever. But Jesus tarried where he was, stayed where he was for three days so that by the time he got there, the decom decomposition of the body would have begun. You remember that Martha was concerned about that when Jesus told him to roll away the stone. She said, he stinks. The, in other words, the body had begun to would have begun to decompose under normal circumstances. But Jesus stood before the, throne, the, before the tomb of Lazarus. And he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. Then he added, I know you hear me always. But for the sake of these standing by, I said that you hear me. I wonder what John's thinking when he writes this. When he writes the epistle that talks about the confidence that we have that if he hears us, then we have the petitions that we ask for. I wonder if he's remembering Jesus raising Lazarus from the tomb, from the dead, standing before the tomb and saying, I thank you, Father, that you hear me always. Since God and his word are one, God's will is revealed in his word. So anytime we pray the will of God, anytime we pray the word of God, we are praying the will of God. That's why it's so important for us to take the word with us into prayer. It's critical for us to pray God's word. So the prayer of faith is the prayer that prays God's word. Turn back with me to James chapter 5. James was one of the first epistles written to the church. Verse 13, chapter 5, verse 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. So the prayer of faith could be identified as the prayer that heals the sick. 
And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they, they shall be forgiven him. <clears throat> this word prayer in verse 15, <clears throat> excuse me, is the word to declare or to vow. It's not a request. It's not asking for God to do something. It's vowing or declaring what God has already done, what we know is God's will as revealed by his word concerning sickness and disease. The Bible says that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sickness, and with his stripes we are healed. So the prayer of faith is a prayer that claims what Jesus has done for us, not ask God to do something about it. The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. Now notice that James doesn't make mention of certain ones that can get healed by the prayer of faith. He doesn't make any distinction whatsoever about why someone would have the disease that they had. He doesn't go into any <clears throat> deliberate explanation about the presence of sin, although we should, probably should read with this, verse 16. Confess your faults <clears throat> one to another. This word faults is the word sin. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now what's he saying? He's saying that we need to keep a clear line of forgiveness in our lives in order to walk in divine health. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man would avail much. He's saying that any unrighteousness or any unforgiveness that's in our lives can hinder the healing power of God. Jesus told us the same thing in Mark chapter 11, verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any, that your heavenly Father can forgive you of your sin. So he's talking about making sure that we stay in love, walking in love, to maintain and to exercise or to pray that prayer of faith that heals the sick. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Effectual means effective. Well, if certain prayers are effective, then that would mean certain prayers are ineffective. There has to be a, a distinction or a difference between an effective prayer and an ineffective prayer or ineffective prayer in order to make the, the, the in order to recognize the difference between the two. Fervent just means heart. The effective from the heart prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now what's the availing much that he's talking about? He's talking about healing the sick. So the responsibility is on us to make sure that we're walking in forgiveness and walking in love, making sure that no unforgiveness sticks with us or sticks to us because it can hinder our physical bodies. It can hinder our receiving of healing 
So the prayer of faith shall save the sick, heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they may be, shall be forgiven him. This is an indication that even if your sin or the cause of your sickness is your personal sin, and that's the thing that everybody is, uh, is attacked with in their thinking by the devil. He always wants you to think it's your fault that you're sick when it's really his fault. He's the one that brought it. He's the one that enforces it or attempts to at least. And James, as the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, seems to have an understanding that even if personal sins, individual sin, has opened the door and caused sickness to dwell in somebody's body, simply being forgiven of that sin puts them back in a situation where they can receive by the prayer of faith the healing for their body. James is very clear in his understanding and his communication that even if you've messed up, even if you through sin have brought something into your life and upon your flesh, that it doesn't have to stay there. You can confess your sins and be forgiven of your sin. And have no need whatsoever to forfeit the healing power of God. Now we want to look next to James chapter 1. Verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptations here means adversities or trouble. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So he's talking about when we find ourselves in, in hard places or in difficult situations. Verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. Now I think that he's talking about wisdom, specifically wisdom in whatever trouble you're in. Paul wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, that Christ has been made unto us, all of the body of Christ, the wisdom of God. So there's wisdom inherent in the new birth. The wisdom of God is a byproduct of the fact that we become children of God and part of God's family. Well, if we have wisdom inherent in our new creation beings, then why would James talk about wanting wisdom or asking God for wisdom? The context that he puts it in is when people are having difficulties or experiencing adversities, and as a result, it would stand to reason that the wisdom he's talking about is specific wisdom to handle the difficulty you're in. If any of you lack wisdom, again, verse 5, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, 
For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now he's gone from telling us that wisdom is available to us concerning our difficulty or our test or adversity that we're in or going through. He goes from that specific wisdom in our situation to talking about faith that is necessary and a requirement to receive anything of God. Notice he said, let not that man, the man that wavers, don't let that man think that he'll receive anything, not just wisdom, but anything. He's telling us a foundational, a foundational principle is that faith or the prayer of faith is the prayer that receives anything or everything from God. If the lack of faith prevents you from receiving anything from God, then the operation of faith is the key to receiving everything from God. So the prayer of faith then would be the prayer that doesn't waver. The prayer of faith would be a, a steadfast faith or a steadfastness in prayer. The prayer of faith would be the prayer that doesn't allow the devil to change what he thinks, what he believes, or what he says. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. So the, the prayer of faith is the prayer that's prayed by the single-minded. The non-wavering, single-minded man is the man that prays this prayer of faith to receive anything and everything from God. Look with me to Romans chapter 4. It talks about Abraham's faith. Beginning in verse 17, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. If Abraham's faith is the faith that we're supposed to emulate and use as a pattern or example, then the prayer of faith is a prayer that, can, that calls things that be not as though they were. That's what Abraham did. That's how he became an imitator or a follower of God. He called things that were not as though they were. Therefore, the prayer of faith would be the prayer that calls things that be not as though they are. Now look with me to John chapter 16. And notice what Jesus said about this prayer of faith. John 16, verse 23, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Notice what Jesus says about how prayer should work. How prayer does work. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. But whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it you. And notice he said, verily, verily, I say unto you. The emphasis is on the reality of this truth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he is swearing and guaranteeing the promise or the result. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Well, when we combine this with what we just saw in James chapter 1, for a person to operate or ask in faith, pray in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Then the fact that Jesus is saying, that whatever we ask the Father in his name, Jesus' name, God will give it to us, that would have to be faith. That principle of unwavering, single-minded faith would have to be put in practice here for God to give you whatever you ask for. Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto up to now have you asked nothing in my name, Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Folks, if there's any area of our life where there's lack of joy that's just between us and God, and by that I mean we can't always make the prayer of faith work for the other guy. We can't always make the prayer of faith overcome the wrongdoings of maybe a loved one or someone like that. But if there's any area in our lives where we are not joyful or full of joy, we can fix that by simply using this scripture and asking God for whatever we need. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask that you shall receive that your joy may be full. Finally, turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Notice how many times you is in that verse, verse 7. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Folks, the reality, the simple reality, is that our prayers being answered depends more on you than it does on God. God's already finished his side of the equation. He's already done everything he's going to do through Jesus to provide for us and to make us a champion and, and victorious in any and every area of life. If you abide in me, he said, 
and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done to you. Now, if his words abide in us, then the will of God is known to us. As we said before, God and his word are one. And he reveals himself, reveals his will by or through his word. So we can automatically recognize and understand that our prayers would be in line with his word. That brings 1 John 5, 14 back into play. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will or according to his word, since his word is his will, he heareth us. The key to being heard is to pray the word of God. And if we know or since we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of him. Whatever it was we asked for, is ours. Now it doesn't say how long it'll take before it is ours. It doesn't tell us that it'll happen overnight or within 48 hours. It simply tells us that it will happen and it will be. Again, John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Our prayer lives should be an example of the God that we serve. And God wants your prayers answered more than you want your prayers answered. He recognizes, and Jesus tells us, that the answers to our prayers, the realization of our prayer, glorifies God herein is my father glorified what in what is God glorified when we ask what we will what we will and it shall be done unto us how do you bring that about if you abide in me and my words abide in you he said If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Folks, God wants your prayers answered. And notice that it's based on relationship. If you abide in me, he said, and my words abide in you. It's based on our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and it's based on our relationship with his word. I think it's important for us to recognize that there is no scripture that tells us that God wants certain prayers of ours answered, but other prayers not so much. There is no condition 
attached to the word of God concerning prayer that would limit what we pray for? That would diminish the results that we choose to have? In fact, Jesus said in one place in the Gospel of Matthew, he was talking about faith moving mountains, but he talked about it removing a sycamine tree. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you should speak to the sycamine tree to be uprooted and cast into the sea. And it should obey you. He went on to say, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. This thing called faith that calls things that be not as though they are. This prayer of faith that heals the sick. This prayer of faith that brings in anything and everything that we need to be joyful or to add joy to our lives. This thing called faith is impossible to overcome. And it will make impossibilities a simple reality and fact in our lives. Folks, you cannot overestimate the importance of faith. Therefore, you cannot overestimate the importance of God's word in our lives, having his word in our heart. So, beginning next week, we'll talk about these steps to answered prayer that will bring about this guaranteed result that Jesus has just assured us of. No matter what area of life we have need, no matter how impossible it may seem, it will come to pass. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for entrusting us to build our lives on your word, to put your word in our heart and make it a part of who we really are. We thank you, Father, that by the prayer of faith, the, the sick are healed. By the prayer of faith, the poor are made rich. By the prayer of faith, we walk in the fullness of your lives, the fullness of your plan for our lives. Bless you, Holy Father. We pray that we might bring glory to you by operating on your word that we may be known as your disciples. By being led by the Holy Ghost into the fullness of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Well, let's make our confession again. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, folks.